Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. It's heart of the matter. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Thank you for tuning in. Last week, we had a wonderful experience with Sandra Tanner of Utah Lighthouse Ministry. Many of you have requested copies of that show. Uh, we are going to have those available at our website at www.bornagainmormon.com. You can go there and get them. You can also go to uh, Sandra's store in Salt Lake City. You can go to www.utlm.org. She'll also have copies of that uh, for you if you want them. Just to give you some information, I'm going to constantly refer to uh, that website of uh, Sandra Tanner's because they really have focused on the history and the documentation. I'm going to talk about the history, but if you want proofs, it's the place to go. And I'm going to continually support that throughout the shows of this year where we're going to specifically talk about history so you have a resource from which to get it. All right. Upcoming Heart in the Homes. This coming Sunday, uh, what's the month? What is the month? January. Sorry. January 21st, Sunday, 6 o'clock at the Provo Baptist Church. It's at 230 West Center Street in downtown Provo, 6 p.m. sharp. We're going to have a heart in the church. You're more than welcome to come with your questions or comments or just listen. It's open, and the pastor there has just made it available to you. Also, on the 29th in Wellsville, that's near Logan, there's going to be a heart in the uh, home open house. It's going to go from 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. Listen, next week, check the site, and you can get the address. I'm not going to give it to you now. And then in uh, February on the 11th, that's a Sunday in Boise, Idaho, we're going to have a heart in the church, and they're renting out a large place there, and uh, be open to everybody. I'll give you the, the time and dates for that later. Shout out to my new brother in Christ. His name is Brian. Last Friday, I had an opportunity to talk to Brian on the phone, and I have never in my life experienced somebody who wanted to know the Lord more, who was contrite, who was broken, who wanted Jesus to take over his life. And your prayers for Brian would be much appreciated as now the enemy will try to get him to believe that he isn't saved when we know he is. It was a great experience, Brian. Keep going. Study the word. A special thanks to Brent LC, RNC, Brian and Marcella, Dennis B, Lynn H, who else? Ann C, Dale A, all of you. Uh, who have prayed for us and we don't know about it, your cards, your thoughts, other ways of supporting us. We really appreciate it. The BAM website, bornagainmormon.com. The blog is now set. So when you click on blog, it instantly comes up and you can use it. And it's much more user-friendly. So we invite you to come back on the blog and go back to talking about the things that you're interested in when it comes to Mormonism or the Lord. Get your calendars out and ready. I'm so excited to announce this. Heart in the Park 2007. I'm announcing this very early because I want you, if you're planning a, um, a vacation with your family in the summer, to pencil this in. Be here, Heart in the Park 070707. All right, you got that? July 7th, 2007, Sugar House Park. We're going to have a music guest that's going to rock your world along the lines of Johnny Cash, social distortion type thing. And, but Christian, we're going to have, um, we're planning on amazing food. We're going to have some booths there of people who support with their ministries, a Q&A time, open mic, a jumping castle for the kids, hopefully, a dunk tank for uh, 
all the Mormons who disagree with me. Um, just kidding. We want everyone, their family, their friends, their neighbors, to plan on coming to Heart in the Park 2007. You want more information, keep going to the website, www.bornagainmormon.com. Everybody is invited except assassins, like last year. No assassins, remember. All right, we're getting to work on our 2006 DVD collection. Those will be available. We're getting a number of emails for people who want DVDs, copies from last year's shows. We'll have those ready soon, so watch the website. Church Scouts. I have had an opportunity to meet many pastors, uh, preachers of the Word in the state, and they are uh, great people. They love the Lord. They're here to serve. They're here to teach the Word. Our church scouts have gone to a number of different churches. They're all posted on the website. If you're looking for a church in your area, we hope you'll go and you'll look out those recommended churches. We like Calvary chapels. They teach the Word. Uh, we, we like how they approach it in the Calvary Chapel Park City, Calvary Chapel Salt Lake, Calvary Chapel Mountain View. I am particularly also, I'm also fond of uh, Travis Mitchell's church, Sandy Ridge Church, and I'll tell you why. When, my, when I started here, Travis Mitchell was behind this ministry from the beginning. He has supported us, and his church is such a kind, sweet uh, church where they teach the Word, and they have a great spirit there. So if you're looking for a real home church, you might try them. There's a number of other great ones, but I just wanted to mention those tonight. All right, let's begin with a prayer. Dear Lord, we pray that you will be with our viewers tonight as they tune in, as they surf by, that they'll stop, and we'll be able to open up dialogue that will open their hearts to you through your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. If a person who uh, was LDS their entire life, cradle to grave, uh, was asked to write a hundred-word or a one-paragraph, two-paragraph summary of the origins of Mormonism, you would probably hear something like this. The Lord took an uneducated and humble boy and amidst great personal trial and sacrifice on his part, restored the true and living gospel of Jesus Christ back to the earth through divine intervention and divine revelation. This is important to think about because in essence, this is how Mormonism portrays how uh, this is how Mormonism today portrays how Mormonism began. It's a very clean-cut, simplistic view of the church. It is also single-sided and sugar-coated in many ways with very wooden characters that are very single-dimensional to make it easy to absorb for the, for the mind of people who are in the church. The more complex an issue or a person is in their personality, the more difficult it is for us to assimilate that person into a black and white picture. We want things that are easy for our minds, and so we, just, we take facts and we just put them into these boxes so that we can understand them simply. When complex information leads to questioning and leads to mystery and wonderment and doubt, organized religions like Mormonism does not like that. And so they paint a very simplistic picture for you, one, to hide some of the ugly truths, and true, two, to just keep you on the track of disbelieving things simply. In describing the complex nature of Joseph Smith alone, D. Michael Quinn, noted church historian and author of The Mormon Hierarchy, Origins of Power, wrote this about Joseph Smith. It's going to take me about 45 seconds to read. Let me read it to you. Few Mormons today can grasp the polarizing charisma of their founding prophet. 
Some may feel uncomfortable when confronted with the full scope of Joseph Smith's activities as a youthful mystic, treasure seeker, visionary, a loving husband who deceived his wife regarding about 40 of his polygamous marriages, a man for whom friendship and loyalty meant everything, but who provoked disaffection by testing the loyalty of his devoted associates, an anti-Mason who became a master Mason, church president who physically assaulted both Mormons and non-Mormons for insulting him, a devoted father who cared for his own children and those of others, temperance leader and social drinker, Bible revisionist and esoteric philosopher, city planner, pacifist and commander-in-chief, student of Hebrew and Egyptology, bank president and jail escapee, healer, land speculator, mayor, judge and fugitive from justice, grantor of religious freedom but limiter of religious speech in the press, preacher and street wrestler, polygamist and advocate of women's rights, husband of other men's wives, a declared bankrupt who was the trustee and trust of church finances, political horse trader, U.S. presidential candidate, abolitionist, theocratic king, insider to riot, and unwilling martyr. In Devotions Upon Emergent Occasions, Christian writer John Donne wrote the famous lines, No man is an island, entire of himself. Perhaps this statement is no more true than when applying it to the purposes and programs and personal life of Joseph Smith. In my opinion, and for better or for worse, Joseph Smith, when looked at in an entirety of what we have, he was probably the greatest synthesizer of information I've ever read of. He was able to pull things from all sorts of areas and bring them into one entire kind of a seamless body of theology and, and, and doctrines. Over the next, next 50 weeks, we're going to attempt to share what I believe contributed to the person and product of Joseph Smith Jr. When I say the person, I'm talking about his personal life and what he was like. And when I say product of Joseph Smith, I'm talking about Mormonism, which he created. Try and imagine, if you can, that the things that, I, that I'm going to share with you in a reasonable context, try to see them in the light that they truly happen instead of in the context of modern-day living 2007. In other words, try to see how they were really presented back then. And I say this, I watched a video recently, I rented it from Blockbuster Video, and... Um, and what it was, was a, uh, an attempt to depict a fictional story about some Mormons tied in with church history about Mormons. And I guess there's a number of parts in them, and I, and I rented one. And it was pure sugar-coated hilarity. I'm not kidding you. It just blew my mind what they were passing off. And you see, if they, if they call some of it fiction and some of it fact, everybody who watches it and doesn't know that just thinks that it's all probably fact. You know it's not all fiction, so they probably just think most of it's fact. You can't tell what is what. Whenever Joseph Smith and his followers were presented, they were always very clean, unless he was going through a real trial where he was sorrowful, but otherwise he was always very clean-shaven and nice-looking and dressed well and so dynamic and, 
and the sets looked like um, like they came from Sundance. I mean, you had wreaths and garlands and candles that burned perfectly and, and wood that was perfect. I mean, it was, it was something. And then on the other hand, the troublemakers always looked like I usually do, you know. They weren't dressed in black, but if they could have been, they would have been. And they looked like they were just the fringe of society, scowling and drinking and just out to kill that, that clean-cut, upright Joseph Smith. Listen to the uh, description of one Josiah Quincy from 1844, very close to before Joseph Smith was killed, and how he describes him in very real terms. Finding a group of rough-looking Mormons waiting at a house, Quincy wrote, Preeminent among the stragglers by the door stood a man of commanding appearance, clad in the costume of his journeyman carpenter when he was, when he was about work. He was a hardy, athletic fellow with blue eyes standing prominently out about his light complexion, a long nose, and a retreating forehead. He wore striped pantaloons, a linen jacket, which had not seen the wash tub, and a beard of some three days' growth. I challenge any Latter-day Saint to show a picture of Joseph Smith that the church presents today of Joseph with three days growth in a dirty linen jacket and striped pantaloons standing out amongst all his friends on a porch. You're not going to find it because they give you a sugar-coated presentation. Now, I have no problem with somebody who's dirty and working hard in that way, but I just want to see that portrayed in realistic terms. And when they're not given that way, it makes you think of them in these idealized ways that simply don't hold water when you read the history that you can find at places like Sandra Tanner's uh, website that we talked about. This was the man, Joseph Smith. Try and look past the sterilized portraits that you're getting. And when it comes to not just the physical portraits, which are so simple, look at the history, and that's what we're going to try to cover. It won't be sterilized. But at the same time, we have to be fair and look at the context. I think it's very dangerous when anti-Mormon people get on the websites and they establish all this stuff, the Ed Deckers of the world, and they, they make stuff up. And Mormons can easily prove the stuff's made up, and it just totally throws out all the legitimacy of the people who have done sound, scholarly research. All right? So the Mormons have a point when people are picking on them with with anti-Mormon literature. Some of it is garbage. You have to go to good sources, and that's one reason why I had Sandra on the show and why I think Utah Lighthouse Ministries is a reliable place that you can go and read for yourself the documents that are there. Things have to be accurate. Okay, Uh, let's just stick to the facts. In view, in a view that is opposite of what the LDS Church usually presents, I believe that Joseph Smith and early Mormon history, um, they represent a host of different themes that are that that made up Mormonism what it was. I'm not a scholar, but I've read at least five very good and scholarly research books on his life and those times with documented research. And I think they come down to some factors that I'm going to share with you in this little diagram that I'm going to hold up. And we're going to use this to kind of help us throughout the year as we talk about Mormonism and what made it today. Now, at the center, you can see that we have LDS religion. And then we have some parts that contribute to it. And these are the major categories. At the top, we have Joseph Smith and his family. All right? If we go to the other side, we have 19th century religious environment and what was going on there. 
If we go down to the bottom, we have 19th century political environment and how that played into the LDS religion. And finally, we have the 19th century cultural environment and how that played into the establishment of the LDS religion. So these four parts are all going to help us establish what kind of help form Mormonism. And when you see it in light of those four parts, you're going to get blown away about how unoriginal it really was and how it just responded to the 19th century themes that were surrounding Joseph. It's very difficult to tease apart the man Joseph Smith from the religion that he restored. The Book of Mormon is endlessly connected to the Smith family, the religious and social culture of the time, and an overabundance of 19th century Republican ideals that are all through the Book of Mormon. And when we hit to the Book of Mormon, we'll probably spend six or seven weeks dissecting and showing how these themes are found throughout, how they related to his family, how they related to him as a person. Many unique LDS doctrines and practices had their origins in established rites and rituals from other places. Many concrete answers Joseph supplied for people were debated and talked about by the religionists of the day. Looking at Mormon origins is often like looking at a grand, grand uh, dynamic, three-dimensional kind of e-moving thing. Have you seen that commercial that's popular on TV where guys, they come up with different cell phones and then they bring in computers and they're moving their hands and all these different things are going on? It, it, Mormonism, early Mormonism is kind of like that when you look at it in that way. Uh, grandparents, parents, and siblings of Joseph played a part in Mormonism. Magic played a part in Mormonism. Republicanism played a part. Egalitarianism played a part. The Christian church played a part in Mormonism. I'm going to talk about that, and it's going to offend some people, that the Christian church is partly responsible for the growth of Mormonism at that time, and I'll explain why in a while. Greed played a part. Lust played a part. Culture, misery, faith, revenge, deception, fear, family. Maybe God, maybe or certainly Satan in different parts, played a part in the formation of this thing that we call Mormonism. It wasn't just a boy, sugar-coated, who received a revelation and walked forward and presented the gospel of Jesus Christ. Listen to the facts, and it's going to be up to you to decide, but give it a chance. And then check those facts with what you find through the websites. The sum of its part, the Mormon collage, is very unique. I admittedly say that it is very unique in what prompted Joseph Smith and gave him the talent to bring this, all this synthesized stuff together. But if you look at the parts individually, they are unoriginal and uh, they're frankly quite passe when it comes to individual aspects. He gathered them and put them together. Okay, let me talk about the diagram for a minute and maybe cover some of those things. Remember that Joseph Smith and his family, 19th century uh, culture, 19th century politics, and 19th century um, religion. All right, Joseph Smith and his family, his heritage and grandparents. Did you know that his grandfather, his paternal grandfather, and his father and his uncle, who played very important roles in forming Joseph Smith, one believed that Joseph himself was going to do a marvelous thing for religion. So they kind of brought that into his psyche at a very young age, that he was going to be this person to kind of come out and do stuff. And then they were also universalists. Now, a universalist, there's Unitarian churches today. Unitarian universalists were people who believed that everybody goes to heaven. Everybody. And that was such an important part of the Universalist Charter that they even established in Tunbridge, Vermont. So 
his forefathers and his own father, they believed in a universalist type of approach to the gospel. And look at what Mormonism essentially preaches when it comes to the three levels of heaven. And we talked about that. The father's makeup was anti-organized religion. His mother's makeup was pro-organized religion for a number of different reasons. He had a brother, who, an older brother, who was a very good guy from all the accounts, and he died unexpectedly from, from a doctor administering some medicine that was wrong. And, um, and he had a minister from a church come up and tell him that he was in hell because he wasn't baptized. This was before Mormonism ever got legs, and this hurt the family and hurt his mother greatly. And so you have these dynamics playing into the Smith family, the mother and father fighting about religion and which church was true. Uh, poverty and extreme suffering, and I will tell you stories about the suffering that they went through because of the poverty, and how, how Joseph, I'm sure as a young lad, responded to these things around him and decided, as a very smart guy, I'm going to do something that gets us out of the poverty. Part of that was treasure hunting, which we'll talk about in a minute, and then part of that becomes being a charlatan, to get money in any way you can. And uh, when I say charlatan, I use that in the sense that there are many people that way. But, so don't get all mad at me. I realize that he did some things that, that seemed to be uh, respectable in bringing religion forth. But it's all religion. It has nothing to do with Jesus. And that's the real point of the whole thing. All right, then we go to uh, the second century religious environment. It was the second great awakening. And um, the condition of the church was really deplorable of the body of Christ. And Charles Finney introduced Pelagianism and Arminianism was at, at battle with that. There was revivalistic failures. There was perfectionism being taught by Christians to other Christians. You've got to be perfect. And people couldn't cope with all this. And they were fighting with each other for members. And so that setting helped, helped him say, well, we're going to step back and we're going to change some of that. And then there was the political environment. We're on a new frontier. Republicanism was new. The country was new. And anytime someone rose up and looked like they might be disaffectors or... Uh, or, or tried to introduce something that was going to be kind of uh, exclusive, it scared people. The Masons, that kind of scared people when they found out that they could have murdered somebody, uh, Morgan. And the Masons, they, the whole country turned on them. When they had secret combinations that were coming up, the nation got scared. Mormonism looked to them like a secret combination because of their desire for political power. They would come into an area and they'd take over that area and they'd improve that area and they'd look economically sound and they were industrious as far as working hard and building up their community. But then they would also start talking about taking over and they would enforce their religious views. And then there's rumors about polygamy going on and there's rumors about blood atonement and these things going out, these strange things. And in early America, that was frightening to these people who wanted a free society. Their forefathers came from England from religious persecution. They didn't want tyranny. They didn't want anarchy. They wanted a good, solid Republican uh, place to live. Now, Mormonism, on the other hand, may have been fighting for those Republican virtues. But when they did, it seemed to America like they weren't. And so we had a clash. So when you look at it from a political perspective, Mormonism was built, and when we read the Book of Mormon, you're going to see all kinds of themes about 19th century politics that are built into the book. Another reason to show that it's a work of 19th century fiction. 
And then we can go to the magic environment of the culture. He grew up in, in, in folklore. He grew up in a place where magic was accepted. And the smiths were steeped in mag magic. They used seer stones to find hidden treasure. And if they couldn't get the treasure, they would tell the person they were looking for, well, a ghost took the treasure and moved it. We got to move over here now. I mean, they were steeped in spiritualism and, and, and consulting these things, which the Bible speaks very clearly against. Very clearly. And I would imagine that if you found a good Christian at that time and showed them what they were doing in these, in these practices, they would be aghast having known what the Bible says. And yet the Mormons are starting off with their religion by resorting to witchcraft type of, of practices to, to find truth. Like Sanders shared last week, I mean, he used the same stone to find gold and silver, which he never found in the earth, to translate the gold plates, the Book of Mormon. So we've got a whole host. If you go to Richard Bushman... He says, Joseph Smith had a remarkable power to make religion. All right? He had a remarkable power to make religion. That's a very important quote from an LDS writer who has studied his life more than many others. He also said, he made the transcendent literal and the mundane heavenly. Joseph Smith made the transcendent literal and the mundane heavenly. Okay, that's a very important insight when you think about it. He had a green thumb for growing ideas from seeds. This is from Bushman. He had a green thumb from growing ideas from seeds. He could look at something and say, wow, and he could conjure up a whole bunch of theologies around that. Very imaginative. Some people say possessed. Some people say schizophrenic. Some people say all this. I think that he, he had that gift and he used it to create religion. All right. Finally, the Book of Mormon, the church, the revelation, the temple rites, all of that tie into these four areas. And we have to examine those things to understand Mormonism uh, the best way that we can. Christianity is not a religion. Christianity is a relationship. You have to understand there is no true religion, no true institution on this earth. Christianity is a relationship based on faith in Jesus Christ. There are people who will be saved who are sitting in all kinds of denominations all over this world. They make up the church. Christianity is not a religion. It's a relationship. Christ's church is not an institution. It's a body of believers and always has been. Salvation does not come through an institution's rights. Salvation comes by faith by grace, through faith on Jesus Christ. That is salvation. It does not come from an institution. Joseph Smith took all this stuff and he made a religion that's a good religion. But religion does not save you. And in fact, religion leads many people away from Jesus instead of to him. We're going to go to the phone lines. The number is 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. We'll get to that. I have some things to share. Uh, let me see here. Sandra Tanner uh, did me a favor and forwarded me an email that she got. And bottom line, it says, Your presentation tonight reinforced my belief in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. I say that because I felt hesitancy talking to Sandra in your voice, and more than anything, I have placed my heart a belief in the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon 
an organization of the church uh, with prophets and apostles. And then he puts a parenthesis who shave every day, don't wear leather jackets and protruding chest hair from an improperly worn shirt and who don't speak in terms of giving a shout out. This is a very angry person. Furthermore, it testifies of who he is as a savior. He says, we both know history is more often than not skewed, tainted with a bias. And he says he laughs at the fact that uh, she quoted U of U as a source for some of her stuff and said he's going to check those out. He says, having studied mathematics for years at the U of U, I felt uneasy at your almost linear scientific approach to prove the LDS church untrue. As Nephi once told, behold the world and the wisdom therein. Also, your prayer about your statement about prayer seriously concerned me. Sandra Tanner's uh, response was beautiful. Uh, it was inviting to him, and what it did was she just she all she did was give her references, and she gave all those references. You can't see it, and uh, the websites, the books. She defended her every position where all those things came from, and uh, she said she's perplexed at his view of you of you because thinks it is a phenomenal place, and then she says truth stands up to investigation. All I ask is that people check it out for themselves. She's not saying to trust her or their research, really. She's saying, look at the research. And then if you want to go and find out the original sources, which she is copying and giving to you, uh, go ahead. And then she ends with, may we each seek his truth and says, I'm willing to meet you anytime. Uh, the truth is not easy to bear. And when you hear it, you want to deny that it exists. But these are factual proofs. All right, we're going to go to Larry in Boise, Idaho on line one. Larry, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, sir. I listened to your station, but it's about three days old. You, you listen to the station, and it's about what? No, I'm up here in Boise, Nampa, Idaho. You're in Nampa, Idaho? Yeah, I got Channel 18. You've been watching the show? Yep, right now, but your, your mouth ain't moving right with what I'm watching. Yeah, because you're about two and a half months behind us. Uh-oh. My question is this. I have a friend that's LDS that I work with, and he says I, he had the, Adam and Eve had to sin before they could have children. Yeah. You brought that up the other day on your show, and I like to know what the Bible verse I can use to attack him with. You need a Bible verse? Yeah, I need Bible verses. I got the pencil in hand. Well, uh, as far as a Bible verse that says that, all we know is that uh, Adam brought sin into the world and Jesus Christ brought salvation. We don't have a verse in the Bible that says Adam and Eve had to sin to bring children into the world, or Adam and Eve's sin brought children into the world, or anything like that. But we can read contextually through the Bible that Adam and Eve brought shame and pain and disaster to the world and sin and death. Through Adam came death and sin. And so what they say is that's a good thing, and that's part of a good thing to them. But we know through God, death is not a good thing. And we know through experience of it, it's not a good thing. But we can't see it in the way that you, we would see it today. We live in a fallen world. We can't understand a, a world without death in a fallen world. It would be a terrible thing. We're decaying. We have disease. So, but they, they, what they do is they just, they just come up with a new theology. But you're not going to find a Bible passage that says... You mentioned some Bible verse the other day. I was watching you there about a month ago. You had some Bible verse that you quoted. Yeah, uh, you know what? Do you know our uh, website? Yeah, I do. All I got was a bunch of letters and a bunch of stuff. I never found anything about that doctrine. Yeah. Uh, email me, and then when we have some time, I'll go through the Bible and see if I can find the verses that might 
make you happier, but I don't know any off the top of my head that say, you know, children couldn't be brought in or children could be brought in without sin. I know this, God commanded Adam and Eve to multiply and replenish the earth. He also told them not to eat of the tree of, freedom, the tree of fruit of knowledge of good and evil. Yeah. All right. And he's, what's he, he's giving them commandments straight out. He's not a player of games with them. And so he gave them those two, and they could have, with his wisdom and guidance, multiplied and uh, replenished the earth. But instead, they chose to take the shortcut and get knowledge on their own by partaking of the tree, which was against his command. And then they fell. So you have to believe that God is a trickster in Mormon theology for him to say, now, multiply and replenish the earth, and don't eat of that tree, and ha, 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 they don't know how to multiply and replenish the earth unless they eat of that tree, so it's all just a big setup. That's a what, short, dumb question. Yeah. How far are you from Twella? How f far am I from where? Twella. Twella, T-O-O-E-L-E -E town. Oh, Twella? I don't know. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Maybe 23 miles. That's where my daughter lives. Oh, it's a good place. Hey, thanks for the call, brother. Hey, by the way, uh, the other day I had a call from a guy named Marvin from Montanaf, Idaho. Yeah? I know him. No kidding. Yep, just before your program comes on, there's a guy named Bill Sperry. He's my old pastor. He has his deal. He speaks on Channel 18 there in Nampa. Awesome. He used to be an AG pastor. Hey, we're going to have a heart in the church in on the 11th of February up there in uh, Idaho. Maybe I get to meet you then. Okay, what city? Uh, Boise. Unless I live 50 miles from Boise. Well, you can, you can hitchhike. What, town, what, what shirts are going to be on? I don't know. We're going to announce that. Okay. It'll be shown on your station. I enjoy your station. Thanks so much. Get them saved. Okay. Bye-bye. All right. We're going to Paul. First-time caller from Layton. Paul, you're on Heart of the Matter. Oh, Paul, you got to turn your TV off. Oh, I did. Hold on for one second here. All right. We're muted. All right. So that's the Sean, huh? Yes. Hey, how you doing, Sean? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm doing well, too. So, hey, I'm, I'm kind of like you. I'm a born-again Mormon. But when I was born again, I, you know, the Lord sent me to the Mormon church. Yeah? So what does that mean to be born again, Paul? But, well, it means to be cleansed of all your sins and have, uh, you know, the Holy Ghost, the fire, just come in and cleanse out your whole body. And, okay. And just be a new person. So you're saved? I, yeah, I, I'd say that uh, as long as I stay close to, to Christ and, huh. and do His will, I'll, I'll be saved. You'll be saved. Wow. Hey, Paul, since you're a born-again Mormon, as you claim, you, and you believe in Mormonism, do you have to uh, go through the temple in order to be saved, too? That's if I want to you know, go further on to the celestial kingdom. Now, if I want to go fishing on Sunday and have my chewing tobacco and drink some beer, I'll be happy in the celestial kingdom. Right, so if you, you say you're saved, but what does that mean? Does that mean living with, what does saved mean if it doesn't mean living with God? That, well, it, it means not being in a literal hell. And I'd, I'd literally lived hell. You know, I'd, okay, I'd, you've, I'd, I understand you were saved, Paul, but let's stick on this uh, subject. Okay. So, so you were saved, you're a Mormon, but saved to you means not going to hell, but it doesn't mean living with God, right? No, it means living with God. So, and, and being in His presence. That's what saved means? Yes. And you've been saved? Oh, yeah. So you know you're going to live with God when you die. There's nothing else you need to do. Yeah, I'm not evil or anything. No, but I, I do need to progress. I need to become like Christ. 
Okay, uh, be, Jesus but, but does that have anything to do with your salvation? Now, how's that? Does that have anything to do with your salvation? Well, I, yeah, because I have eternities and eternity to to become to become something even greater than I am today. Okay, so let me take up one second. Audience, are you listening to this? Okay, to a Christian, when you're saved, that means you recognize that Jesus stepped in and by grace, through your faith, He brings you to the presence of the Father, just like Hebrews says. Now, Paul, Paul is telling us, he's telling us a bunch of different things. He's telling us that saved, well, it does mean this, but it doesn't mean that, and that eternities, and you got to do this. Do you have to have the new and everlasting covenant to live with God again, Paul? Yes. I okay, so how does that tie into what Jesus did on the cross? How does that tie in? Yeah, how does it tie in, Paul? Well, he fulfilled his mission, and, and he did say that just before he died. Okay, he so, fulfilled his, his ministry. All right, now what? Yes, and now, as me, now being, you know, trying to become like him, I'm going to have to go fulfill a ministry, and, and I'm not 100% certain what that is. That's unfortunate. I'm not going to die on the cross for everybody. I know that, but... But I do know that, that I am to become better. Than You're to become better. Well, I hope so. I think any Christian would agree that when you accept Jesus Christ and you're saved, you will become better. Absolutely. Jesus taught that. Oh, exactly. But, but I, I don't know if because... I've met some other brothers and sisters of mine in other faiths that it's kind of like, hey, I've been saved. I, I, I could just kind of rest on my laurels. And kind I have of never it. met a Christian to say that. Never. I, that's, that's such a, uh, a LDS line to use. I have never met a Christian that says, I'm saved, I can rest on my laurels. Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, so, I mean, what, what Christians about are... Like keeping the Sabbath day holy. What about that? Your Sabbath day holy keeping doesn't save you, Paul. Jesus saved you. Well, well that's true. So, so since you've been saved, I don't, on, on the Sabbath, I could go, go like watch movies or something and worship, uh, what's his name that won the... The big, okay, so the you're saying, okay, night. so you don't approve of certain Sabbath day activities, and I would respect your, your, uh, what you think of, uh, that you should do on the Sabbath, but I don't judge another person for going to movies on Sunday because they're at liberty in Christ. Have you ever read the, the New Testament where it talks about there's liberty in Christ? Oh, yeah, and I agree with that. That's what I'm saying. That's yeah. their choice, and that's why the loving, merciful Father in heaven gave us three kingdoms for us to choose from. Oh, I get it. And so if I you, could be saved. Hey, I was not. I was not in the telestial kingdom. Uh -huh. I was in hell. Which is not a permanent place in Mormonism, by the way. What? Which is not a permanent place in Mormonism. There's nothing you could have done, Paul, to have uh, put you in hell uh, before you were saved in a Mormon. Oh, yeah, there was. No, there wasn't. No, there wasn't. No, there wasn't. If you were an adulterer and a murderer, you would go to a kingdom of glory, Paul. Not unless if I, I face that and I looked at it and then I come unto Christ. No, Paul. Asking for his No, the, the second kingdom, the terrestrial kingdom, is where believers in Christ go, but not those who are LDS. You've got, your, you've got it wrong. Well, you, uh, you, I, no, those that are, uh, well, and everybody has a choice. You have a choice, Sean. Okay. Hey, Paul, listen, I, Paul, I think, bottom line, we've got to go, but I think that we've got it. You have a version of what being saved is. And it is, there's additional things that you're going to need to live with God again. Well, I, I'm going to grow by His grace on a daily basis. Well, good. I'll let Him take me where He, he feels to take me. Well, that's, that's very good. I'm glad to hear that. It's a nice summary to act like you're right in line with what, what Christian beliefs are. But we know categorically that if we lay the doctrines down on a table, you're absolutely wrong. So that's, you know, your personal subjective beliefs aren't doing anything for bringing truth to the matter here. 
They're, you're just trying to debate and argue. Let's talk about facts. Why don't you call me, Paul, and say, Sean, we believe in being sealed in the new and ever. We believe in polygamy after this life. We believe in blood atonement. We believe that we have to work in order to be saved. Why don't you call and say the things that Mormons believe instead of call and try to pretend that you believe what Christians believe? Well, I guess because maybe on both sides of it is, is I haven't, I wasn't raised in the Mormon church per se. I, I was very inactive. So, like well, you, you that, were raised in it. That's irrelevant and to the argument. Why don't you, if you are LDS, why don't you bring LDS beliefs to the table and defend them? Okay. Well, let me bring one real fast because... Hurry up! Okay, you believe that God is a God of order, right? I don't know... And it's taught in Genesis. Yeah, I mean, okay, God is a God of order. One, two, three, How four. you define order, I don't know, but go ahead. Well, what I'm trying to say is I don't think God just plastered Christianity out there and just said, okay, just just you guys find Christ however you want to find Christ. Well, that's your thoughts, Paul. Let's yeah, stick to doctrine. The Bible didn't teach it that. I mean, the, the Bible teaches it plainly that there are many, many different uh, churches. There are people from all different walks of Where life. does that teach it? The Apostle Paul taught of one church. Yeah, one church. That's right. Made of believers. You're it's taking it literally. It's not made of believers. The, it's the made of believers. Believer. Do you, what do you, hey, hey. The Colossians. Paul. Paul, Paul, and they all funneled through him. Paul, read what it talks about the body of believers making up the church, making up the temple. It's a body of believers. It is not a physical institution. So, and, and following and doing the will of their Lord and following his. Following is never a problem for Christians, Paul. Okay, I don't, I, I don't understand. All, and I love watching your show. Well, I'm glad you do. Thanks for the call. Good for a lot of people. All right, thanks, man. Bye-bye. Hey, take care, bro. Okay, bye-bye. All right, he got to end on a good, kind note, which is very important to LDS. I'd rather stick to the facts of things so we can lay them out. Connie, second time. We're going to a second time caller uh, from Sandy. Connie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Um, this is the second time I've actually called into your show, and uh -huh. the first time I called um, was actually the first time I watched your program, and I was actually offended the first time when I called in and I questioned you on why you were black on your show. So I'd like to call tonight and compliment you on what you're wearing tonight. I think you look real nice on your program. Well, thank you, Connie. <laughs> the other thing that I wanted to say was I'm having kind of a hard time. I mean, I know that, um, you know, you had Sandra Tanner on your show last week, and I'm just trying to figure out what you're doing. Are you trying to break off and start your own religion, or are you just trying to support Christianity? Uh, I'm kind of trying to do every all of that. I'll tell you why. I think it would be great if Mormonism uh, said, you know what, uh, we have a church that believes in, in, in uh, temple rights and all kinds of things for salvation, but we're going to open up also a branch of our church that just preaches the Bible, teaches the Bible, and lets sinners have a place and doesn't, you know, it coddles to the smokers and the drinkers and the people struggling, and it tries to have... Uh, salvation experiences and teaches about being born again and we're going to call that the terrestrial the celestial church and we're going to use our all of the money we have to open those churches up for those people then I, you wouldn't see me probably pushing for a big revolution in Mormonism right. but, the, but the problem is there's a lot of people in the church according to my estimations and it's an estimation 600,000 in this state alone who they don't embrace the church they are subject to its culture and they are destitute for spiritual enlightenment. 
And I think that there is a need for the church to teach spiritual rebirth. I think there's a need for their whole revision, obviously, if you look at the show. But I think that they need to focus on coming to Jesus and realizing that they're saved by grace and to get rid of their legalism that puts people into bondage and makes other people feel bad. So that is kind of the thing. If a church rises out of that, whatever happens, I don't know. But I, I, having been LDS, I have friends and family who are LDS. I know LDS and I can see it. And it's just not happening with their, their legalistic, perfectionistic mode of religion. And so that's why we do it. Okay, well, I appreciate it. And my hat's off to you. I know this is quite a hard state to put on a program like this. And like I said, the first time I watched your show and I called in, I am LDS, but I told you before, the first time when I called, I'm not active. And I was very kind of offended by your show, but I'm trying to keep an open mind and I'm watching your show and I think you're doing a great job. So. Hey, hey, Connie. Yeah. Can I send you my book? Sure. All right. Hey, stay on the phone. Our operator will get your address and we'll send it out to you. Okay. Thanks. I appreciate it. Okay. Thank you for calling. You bet. Thanks a lot. Okay. Bye. Wait. Okay. Hold. Ooh. Line two. Okay. Uh, we're going to Rob, first time caller from Idaho. Rob, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hey, Sean. How's it going? Hey, doing good, Rob. How are you? Pretty good, Sean. Hey, I got a comment. I just wanted to call in and just tell you how thankful I am for your program. Well, thanks. Thank you so much. Yep. Been watching it for a short time now, and uh, my wife and I and my children, we all sit down and I listen to the program and listen to what things are being said and blessing. Praise God. Hey, Rob, are you anywhere near Boise? I am. Hey, we're going to have a heart in the church there on February 11th. And we're going to announce on your station up there the place and time. So keep watching it and hopefully I'll get to meet you in person. Great. Oh, that'd be great. Thanks so much for the call. Hey, thanks, Sean. Okay, bye-bye. Good work. Thank you. Bye-bye. We're getting a lot of calls from Boise. We're going to Katie, first-time caller from that state. Bo Katie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes. Hi, Sean. Hi. I tell you, you are the God's man for the hour. I have never heard of you, never have seen you before, but I follow, you're following a Billy Graham special on Channel 7 here in Boise. Uh -huh. And um, I have a couple questions. Have you ever read the book Mormonism, Mama and Me? Oh, by Greer? Yes. Yeah, I've uh, read excerpts, but not the full book. Okay, I think I saw that 20 years ago. I moved here from the Midwest about four months ago and have been trying to familiarize myself with Mormonism more, how people really, really are Mormons. Uh -huh. <laughs> uh, my question to you also is, uh, what about your wife and daughters? Have they followed the Lord as you have, or are they still pretty much immersed in the Mormon church? It's a great question. My uh, wife came to know the Lord on her own through Greg Glory radio program. She still goes to the LDS church with her mother, but that's to support her. She does go to Calvary Chapel with me on Sundays, and she's a Christian all the way. My two youngest daughters are Christians who will attend the LDS church for social events because many of their friends are still there. We don't make an issue of that one way or another because we know they're strong in the Lord. My oldest daughter, she is uh, still deciding what she wants to do with her life relative to God and religion and everything else. What I've done is had the greatest fallout upon her probably and been most difficult. How long have you been on television here? Uh, television, we're coming up on uh, 11 months. I see. Well, I tell you what, I'm going to tune in again next Tuesday night, and I will pray for you, and every time I drive past the Mormon Temple, I just can't believe that God has opened this avenue. You are a man of extremely 
gifted uh, ability to transmit God's love um, through your medium and through your experience, and I am just so thankful that the Lord has you where he has you, and all of your past has equipped you for the present and the future, so carry on, and God bless you. Thank you so much. You're very kind. Thank you. Bye-bye. Just to keep me humble, and I don't say this self-effacingly, I'm the talking donkey. I really, if you knew me just personally, I am a donkey. I just have, I come up here and it's this thing that works, but otherwise, forget it. Talking donkey. Okay, we're going to Joel, first time caller from Sunset. Joel, you're on Heart of the Matter. You got to turn off your TV, Joel. Got it. All right. Okay, great. Thanks. Um, yeah, Sean, I had a question um, in regards to a guy that uh, called earlier, Paul from Leighton there, um, about being saved. Um, born again. I, I too myself have, or is former LDS and have been saved. Um, my question is this, um, this gentleman's kind of making it sound like, uh, being saved doesn't, doesn't mean anything. Um, I, I myself am a smoker and, and I do drink, but I have a strong belief in Christ. Um, what I'm asking and what my question is, is, does that mean that being saved and my salvation means nothing because I do do those things? No. It means that, what it means is that you struggle with those things in your life and you love the Lord and in time he'll either lead you to not do them if that's what's best for you or you'll continue right. to do them because it's not and it will, it will harm your body just like I overeat and just like other people do other things. We're not perfect in the flesh. But you're a believer in Christ, and that is what saves you. Yes, sir. Thank you. I just needed some reassurance. Yeah. You, you, All right, great. Do you, go to, you, do, you, do you go to church? Uh, unfortunately, I don't right now because of my work schedule, but I would love to. Where do you live? I live in Sunset here. Where, where, where is that relative to Salt Lake? Uh, it's about 25 miles uh, north of Salt Lake. I work in Salt Lake. Okay. Well, uh, try Elevation Church. Anytime you have a chance, go to Ele try Elevation Church. It's right in your neighborhood. Look it up online, and you'll get directions, and you're going to like it. Great. Wonderful. All right, brother. Thanks for calling. Thanks, Sean. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Okay. What do we have? We have line two, and the person's name is Jamie. Jamie, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi. Um, I was just uh, calling. I was watching your show for the first time. My husband has watched it a few times. Uh-huh. And um, I am actually a, a born-again Christian. I have been only for about a year. Uh-huh. And I grew up in an LDS church, LDS environment. Wow. And um, my question, when I went to college, um, you know, I obviously fell away, and they disfellowshipped me, and now I'm trying to get my name just removed from the records, and yeah. they won't do it. No, they won't. <laughs> well, I've like been having problems, and I don't really want to involve my family because you know I just try not to, you know, go there. We have uh, I have a good friend uh, Andy, and he uh, got his name removed, and uh, he has a, a letter he sent. If you email us, we'll forward that on to you to give you an example of what you have to do and how you have to do it. Oh, there's, okay. There's also a website if you write "leaving the Mormon Church" uh, through a Google search, it'll come up and kind of help you with that too. Just to let you know, even if you jump through all the hoops and go through all the forms and everything, meetings. Uh, I've heard they still don't take your name off. Yeah, they um, told me like a, that I had to see like a stake president and my bishop. Yeah. 
And I was like, well, I don't even have one. Yeah. Because, <laughs> you know, I've been, you know, baptized through the Spirit of, of Christ now. Amen. So. Hey, where do you go to church? Um, I go to the Church of God in Christ. And where is that? Um, my husband's all telling me, tell him to say what's up. It's um, a predominantly black church. Uh-huh. And, um. Must be good worship and good teaching of the word there. Oh, it's, it's wonderful. Awesome. Wonderful. I was so lost and then, you know, like just so high in the world and all the things that it had to offer. Uh-huh. And I couldn't believe these people and how the first time I went to church, how happy they were. Uh-huh. It was absolutely, it was amazing. It was just beautiful. And uh, are you in the word? Oh, yes, I am. I have been strong for a year. And will you share uh, in, in 25 seconds, I know it's not much time, will you just share with the audience what it means, what the difference is between being involved in a religion and being born again in a relationship? Oh, wow. A relationship is so remarkable because I know now that it's just me and I can go to God and to talk to Him at any time and just give Him praise and just be so just excited for everything that he has done for me and I can see it now where before I was just living for rules or you know and I, I couldn't meet that yeah and where I couldn't meet it that's when I was just like screw this I'm gonna go have fun yeah and that's, and that's what legalism does mm-hmm. yeah amen what a great testimony we thank you so much for sharing that with us yeah and I, I appreciate what you're doing my husband has watched it a few times and he was like watch this all right so Well, thanks so much. God bless you guys. Yes, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. We're going to Daryl, first-time caller on line one. Daryl, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yes, sir. How are you doing? First-time caller. Doing well. How are you? Doing great. I just had a suggestion or idea because I think what you're doing is great and it's very factual. I I would like to see maybe if um, you could offer a debate to them. I don't think that I have the courage any one of them to stand up in a, in a one-on-one forum with you to debate the facts because they, they're brave enough to, to put out their ideas on the email, but uh, I think uh, it, would, it would clear up the, the um, air a lot easier. Well, uh, I tell you what, this is a little impromptu invitation. Uh, I invite any representative of the LDS Church officially. This cannot be a member who has some ideas to come. This has to be an official representative anytime they want to come on the show, give me a day's notice, and we'll make room and we'll sit here and talk about those things. I invite any general authority, any 70, any apostle, Gordon B. Hinckley, any of his, any of them to sit down and talk about grace, the word, and uh, absolutely open that up for the first time here on Heart of the Matter to anybody in the LDS Church who has an official representation uh, position of the church. Is that good? Doing great things. All right, brother. Thanks for calling. No problem. Thanks now. Bye-bye. We're going to Don, first-time caller on line three. Don, you're on Heart of the Matter. Don? Yes. You're on the air. If your TV's on, you got to turn it down. I just turned it off. All right, brother. Sean, I'd like to ask you a question. All right. I, well, let me explain. I've been a member of the church my whole life. Yeah. But when I was in my 20s, I fell away from the church. And I just didn't go to any church, even though I, you know, I believed and I prayed. I, I'm not a bad person, but I had such a hard time living the, you know, the gospel of the church. Yeah. So I like to have my cup of coffee, and I like to have a glass of wine once in a while. Okay. And I gave all that stuff up in 2002. 
I went through the temple. Uh-huh. I was good, and I did everything they told me, but I could not wear the garments. Really? And so and I was honest with my bishop, and I told him, he said, well, and I told him I was having a glass of wine the night before I go to bed, and I like to have a cup of coffee in the morning. So they did take away my temple recommend. Mm-hmm. And I just kind of lost interest after that, but, uh, and I haven't been for a few years. But I don't know what it is or something inside me. <clears throat> Excuse me. I just have this burning feeling inside of me that the church is true. Well, if you were born and raised, Jake, it's a real difficult thing. I mean, even Sandra Tanner last week said, hey, it took them a long time. It took me four years to walk from the church because, uh, you, you know, when you hear week after week and month after month, I know the church is true, the church is true, the church is true. It's very difficult to break from those things that... John, let me ask you a question. Yeah. How could the Book of Mormon been, you know, written and transpired with oh. the divine guidance of the Lord? Oh, It's how... such a complex, difficult book. Oh, Jake, it's not. It, it fact, is for me. Jake, keep tuning in. We're going to go a good five or six weeks, and we're going to go through the Book of Mormon, and I'm, we're going to talk about things, and it's going to blow your mind. What about, what about those three witnesses and then the 13 witnesses? They were... And what about Oliver Cadbury when he was dying, and they... You know, people asked him, you know, if the church was true, did, you know, did he really see those golden plates? Um, it wasn't on his deathbed. He said, you know, he did see those golden plates. He could not go against it. He did see those plates. It wasn't on his deathbed, and there was all kinds of factors that played into that. The, fir- the first witnesses, the three witnesses, and the other uh, eight witnesses, uh, all of them have ties and family. They saw the plates spiritually not physically, and that's something Mormons don't realize. There's all kinds of things that will come along with it that will open your eyes as we go through church history. Jake, hang in, and listen. Well, my name's Don, not Jake. Oh, Don. It's Don. Sorry, Don. Hey, and try to go to a a church. Just go. I have. I've been to other churches. I've been with my friends to Catholic Church, and I've been to Assembly of God Church with friends. But, you know, I just don't seem to get anything out of it. And yet I go to an LDS church, and I just, well, that's home. just, I have this tingling in me all the time, and I just have a feeling it's just true. Well, Jay, uh, Don, let's keep talking, keep watching, go to Utah. Well, I do watch your program, and I enjoy it, you know, and I, I think the world of you, you know, and I think, you know, to each his own. Okay. That's hey. just the way, you know, do unto others, you'd have them do unto you the same way, you know, and to each his own. All right, Don. Uh, Listen, I, look, I do we enjoy have... watching your program, and I think you're a wonderful man. Thanks, man. Hey, we'll talk again. Keep... All right. All right, brother. And you have a good evening. Same to you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Jake in Salt Lake, my apologies. We are out of time. We have 30 seconds left. And uh, I just want you to know that uh, the Lord is here. Have a relationship with Him. Forget the religions. Just turn yourself over. It's about being born again. And all the talk on history, it's aimed at getting you to experience that. Just a reminder, Heart of the Matter is rebroadcast every Tuesday at 11 a.m. We also have a show called The Infallible Word on Monday nights at 8, Monday nights at 9.30. We love you. See you next week.